you're you're seeing a lot of um OBGYNs like leaving states with these abortion bans because they could not only face professional repercussions but personal repercussions as well in terms of imprisonment and and if it were LA in terms of death and it's like you're taking away you know women's right to have a safe pregnancy to have reproductive care and access good reproductive care and access you're making it very difficult for women to live a healthy life and bring children into the world. If that's your main concern, you're making it very difficult for us to do it without risking and jeopardizing our own life doing it. Welcome to episode 84 of People Are the Answer. I truly believe that people are the only answer to the world's many problems. I'm Jeffrey M. Zucker, a serial entrepreneur, here to learn how innovators are creating outsized, transformational social impact and to shine a light on all the good happening in a world often hyper-focused on the negative. Today's episode features Jillian Rabin, actor, writer, director, and producer. She is near releasing an incredible impact short film called L8, which shows where our reality could be headed given the current direction of our society. I was fortunate to be able to help a bit with the project as a producer as well, and I can tell you that it's truly moving. Jillian and I discuss her lifelong passion for being on stage, how she ended up at Oglethorpe University, her acting and production career, her desire to tell important stories, her efforts to create impact for women's rights, and much more. Here's Jillian Rabin on People Are the Answer. Jillian, thanks so much for joining me on People Are the Answer. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's an honor and it'd be great if you could start off by just telling the audience, you know, who you are, where you're based and what your current role is. Uh, my name is Jillian Raven. I am based in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am a writer, director, actor and producer. And I do business development as well. And in life generally, what would you say motivates you? In life, um, stories motivate me. I absolutely love storytelling, and I know it sounds cliche, but I think everyone's story is incredibly fascinating. And I think if we listened to people's stories a little bit more, uh, we would learn a lot and be able to to navigate through life with uh, a kinder heart. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a great way to put it. I think humanizing stories, you know, in individuals creates empathy, you know, when you can really relate to someone and telling their story tends to do that. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think that people are sometimes afraid to to listen to other people's stories because it might not resemble their own. And, and that can be scary to, to realize that your immediate microcosm isn't the only thing that's out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely an issue in our society that I hope we're making some progress on. Um, where did you grow up and what was it like? I grew up in South Florida. Um, I grew up in a, in a city called Weston. Um, it's basically like modernized Everglades. Um, and so, uh, kind of very like hot and humid. Um, but it was a very nice childhood. I played soccer. I was on a travel soccer team and all of that. And, um, I did theater since like the age of four. So that was kind of like my childhood, a lot of Disney Universal, you know, classic Florida. <laughs> Do you remember what drew you to theater initially or is it so far back that it just feels part of your life? Um, my parents put me in theater because I would like run onto any raised platform, <laughs> like, and just start like singing or like 
putting on like a show. Um, and so they kind of like, whenever we go to restaurants too, like I would always just like ask if I could sing. So like they were like, okay, we need to, we need to let her uh, get this out. Um, and so, yeah, I started a community theater at four and did that for like 10 years or so until high school. Yeah. Awesome. And can you think of any experiences from your childhood that showed you the importance of giving back? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I think I've always had like just wanted to help people. Um, and especially like in, uh, my community, I mean, it was a pretty well-off community. I, I will honestly say that like, I was very minded for a while about that. Um, and I remember like going down cause if you left the city and like went to more towards the beach, you would see a lot more people who were not like, you know, living a very privileged life. And so, um, I remember like being at the beach with friends and we had made a bunch of like sandwiches and food and stuff. And just like, I just gave my food to, to everybody. And I, I just wanted kind of seeing that for the first time was just something that was, um, obviously I'd seen it in like movies and films and, and entertainment and media, but, but not in, in, uh, in person. Um, and after that I started like volunteering at like soup kitchens and stuff. Um, just because, and that's like really where I realized how much we all are very alike and, and stories really just, you know, everyone has a very unique story. So, yeah. 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 I mean, that's certainly a good place to see a variety of stories, you know, going into places like soup kitchens and, you know, it's cool that you were, were drawn to, to giving back early and, um, Tell me about your education journey. You you went to Oglethorpe University in Atlanta? I did. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not going to hate on South Florida, but I really didn't want to stay there. I really did not want to stay in Florida at all. Um, I just knew that I was like, well, I've been here for 17 years, so time for a change. Um, and so I just kind of applied to like any scholarship I could because um, I didn't have the money to, to just like go to whatever school. And so I ended up getting, um, I, I like got an email from Oglethorpe and I was like, what is this? Like I had never even seen, like I'd never seen the word Oglethorpe and I was like, what? Um, but I opened the email and they like offered like a free application and I was like, okay, well, why not? And then I looked more into their website and their programs and stuff and they had a Shakespeare scholarship. I had never really done Shakespeare and I also was not a fan of Shakespeare at that point in my life, but um, I don't know, something was just like, do it. Why not? And so I went to their scholarship weekend. Um, like I applied for the academic scholarship um, and then the Shakespeare scholarship and both of those were full tuition. And so um, it was like a whole weekend. My mom came and like when we drove up, she, cause it looks like Hogwarts, like, if anyone's seen it, it's kind of like this like stone, very like old looking, you know, buildings. And uh, my mom was like, oh, look, it's Hogsworth. And I was like, so close, so close. Um, <laughs> she's probably going to get mad for <laughs> me for telling that story. Um, but anyway, uh, I did the the Shakespeare uh, audition and you have to do like a Shakespeare monologue and a contemporary one. 
And then you had this seminar um, about like different Shakespeare pieces. And I just remember like the professor, his name is Robert Hornback. And he was to this day, like my favorite professor. I've never, he just opened my eyes to like, basically you're learning like this whole new language and you're like reading between the lines and you're understanding like all these like old time innuendos. And I don't know, it, it helped to democratize Shakespeare. So I don't think of Shakespeare as just like elitist, like, Oh yes. Kind of thing anymore. It's like, he made poop jokes too. Like, it's just the way he wrote them was just a little bit different. Um, but anyway, I got that scholarship, um, went to Oglethorpe because I wanted to pursue acting in Atlanta. Um, and then, and then have been in Atlanta ever since. So I'm really happy I did. Awesome. Yeah. You are fortunate to have received that email and to have dug in a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I saw you have, uh, bachelors in both communication and media studies as well as theater. Yes. Yeah. I, Really? Well, my other option for school was going to the Kelly School of Business um, for advertising. Uh, I got a their full scholarship. And so it was very much like, do I want to go business or like follow my dreams? And so I was like, follow my dreams. Um, and I did go to Atlanta, but I wanted to get, I figured if I was going to get a free education anyway, I might as well double major um, and really maximize on that opportunity. So um, that's what I did. And, uh, I loved it. It being a communications and rhetoric major. I mean, I was just reading and analyzing stories. So it was really just kind of helping me, uh, expand my own horizon in terms of like my analytical ability, like for rhetoric and for the nuances of like syntax and like what word, like word choice too, not only, what I'm choosing to say, but how I'm choosing to say it and the order in which I'm, I'm saying it. So, um, yeah, that experience and that those degrees, I think really go hand in hand for me. During school, um, and, and perhaps after as well, it looks like you had a few different jobs and internships, you know, any of those in particular that were really impactful for you? Oh, um, well, throughout, uh, I had, two summers as a intern at people store, which is a talent agency in Atlanta. And, um, that's kind of a, a funny story. Cause well, I knew I wanted to have, I was an actor and I was like, well, I need representation. I want to be, you know, I need film and television representation. This was like 2016. So like things were kind of starting to take off with like the film industry in Atlanta, which was a huge reason why I, I, I did choose to go to Oglethorpe. Um, and I knew that it was like a catch 22. Like I had zero credits in film and television. So how would I get an agent? But how do I get credits if I don't have an agent? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like 18, 19. And I was like, mm, okay. So I went online and uh, I found that they had an accounting internship at People Store. And I was like, well, I'm good at math. So I applied for their accounting internship. Um, and I got a call from the office manager at the time. And she was like, hey, uh, we see that you applied for the accounting internship, but um, you know, you're not an accounting major. And I was like, right, right. But you know, I'm good at math. And she was like, no, yeah, okay. But uh, you know, you have like, we offer credits. So like you have to be an accounting major. And I was like, oh, 
well, she goes, but we do have a front desk internship. And I said, great. So I went and uh, interviewed for that internship, but I didn't tell them that I was an actor because that felt very pushy. Um, and I thought, you know, the, the, the worst that can happen is I just learn more about the industry. So I did that and um, it was just like a really weird, I mean, I became friends with everyone in the office, but it was a really weird, like, uh, merging of like serendipity, basically, um, towards the end of the summer, after I had gotten close with a lot of the people in the office, um, the head of commercial at the time had gone to Actors Express uh, in Atlanta, which is a theater in Atlanta, to see this show. And I was living uh, with my friend from Oglethorpe and his family and another girl from Oglethorpe. So there were like three of us in this house with my friend's family. So she happened to be sit. the girl I was living with happened to be sitting right next to the head of the commercial department. And they just started to talk and they, they realized that they both knew me. And she was like, my friend was like, Oh yeah, she's going to be in this show at Oglethorpe with the, uh, with Alliance theater. Because at that point they were doing their like tour around Atlanta and their first stop was Oglethorpe. And myself and two other students were in Shakespeare in love uh, with the Alliance. So that's how the head of commercial found out that I was an actor and then came up to me that Monday morning and was like, so you're an actor? And I was like, uh, yeah, I dabble. And so he was like, well, why don't you audition for us? And so then I signed with People Store and um, yeah, that is, I mean, the rest is kind of history. I started to audition and, and get a little bit of traction and roles and yeah. So I don't even remember what your question was, and I'm so sorry. Oh, right, my jobs. Yeah. <laughs> jobs. So that was the best job for me in, like, the best internship I had in college. Um, but I worked at the Speakeasy, where I just kind of, again, got to meet a lot of really eclectic, cool characters. Um, some of them were very, very unique in a good way and in a bad way. But um, definitely just a, a whole host uh, of people. And so... I really enjoyed that job. Um, and then I did a lot of marketing for that restaurant group, uh, as well as uh, I took a job as a copywriter right out of college. But I didn't like how limited my scope of creativity could be writing copy, especially for like that specific firm. So I left to do the acting internship at Actors Express. Um, and so I did that um, until... I booked my first TV show, but then COVID. So none of that happened. <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, it sounds like People Store was definitely a, a transformative opportunity, um, changed your career. Um, and it sounds like you were able to book some commercials and things like that once you were with them. Yeah, I booked a commercial um, and then um, a movie, uh, two movies, three movies. Um, I'm just like trying to, trying to remember. Um, and then, uh, no, four. Okay, so four films and a TV show. Um, and so that is how it, you know, really started to build and, and grow. Um, but yeah, uh, that was really transform transformative uh, for my acting career for sure. And you mentioned, you know, getting a, a an opportunity right before COVID that ended up not working out. Is that something that didn't end up happening in a post COVID world. Yeah. It was like, um, it was really weird. Uh, the acting apprenticeship 
we had a, a play written for the all the interns um, and it was called How to Be Alone at the End of the World. And it was <laughs> like a, a bunch of different vignettes of like different like apocalyptic scenarios. Um, and I remember like, I felt like I was a real working actor because I would be in rehearsals for this and then I like had to drive up to Wilmington and like drive back down and I was like, I'm ready. And um, we finished rehearsal on like a Sunday and I drove up to Wilmington that night, got into my hotel room and then I got a phone call all, like before the door had even closed. And it was a producer saying like, hey, you know, we're gonna have to shut down uh, for two weeks. And I was like, okay. Um, and then it happened that one of my friends was also on the show. So we just hung out that night, but two weeks go by and then it, two weeks becomes another two weeks, which becomes indefinitely, which becomes, yeah, the show's not going to happen. So um, it was, it was super disappointing, but that is life. Yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's heartbreaking. And I mean, with and without COVID, Hollywood in general, you know, as an industry tends to do that to people. I've certainly had my own run-ins with things almost at the finish line that don't come to fruition and, you know, experience the associated heartbreak. But, you know, I like to think it toughens me up for the next next thing I deal with. Yeah, for sure. You get a very, very thick skin uh, doing this. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, doing the Actors Express internship and um, COVID happened. So kind of what were your next moves? Um, well, the internship also shut down. So we never got to you know, finish that out. Um, and, but honestly, I want to say like, was it March 2020, July of 2020, I was filming a Lifetime movie. Um, so, I mean, it was like, we like we had to do our own makeup like we had like masks and face shields everyone was covid tested and all of that and um like everyone had to be vaccinated and that was kind of like when vaccines were like first coming out and that was like a much bigger deal than it is now um and then after that it was just like a a steady progression i was working doing marketing again um for the restaurant and um just kept auditioning and and that was kind of what my life was like at that at that point um and i had a very unique opportunity from working at the speakeasy um i met this gentleman named patrick Millsaps, and he is the ceo of kane studio which is being uh in in you know the works uh in chattahoochee hills in georgia um but yeah i was given the opportunity uh, early 2020, like or December 2019 or you know January 2020, to basically make a bunch of phone calls to like studio executives uh, to try and get them uh, to get Patrick meetings with them out in LA. And doing that because I was just given a list of names, like no contact information or anything like that, and I realized that that was like the first time I like learned that I'm very good at networking and like talking to people in that way. Um, and I managed to get him like 15 meetings, like, but it was all like March, 2020 in LA, like this like two week period is going to be there. So, but then like life is so weird and serendipitous. So like I ended up the job I have now that's like business development. Um, the CFO of Kane studio is like a mentor at the place where, 
where I work and we ended up reconnecting. And then I started to try and create this film fund that they were going to be part of. It's just life is weird and crazy sometimes and people keep coming in and out of your life. So I, I love, I love that. Well, it sounds like you adapt as things change, which is important. And, um, you know, you're able to sort of roll with the punches. Yeah, they, they keep coming. So I just gotta, just gotta keep rolling, but yeah. So you're working to build your acting career. Um, you know, it looks like you've had a variety of experiences in business development and some social media growth as well. Um, you know, would you, what is your, what would you say your goals are for your acting career and your film career? So what I learned by making my own short film by making Ellie was how much I absolutely love being a director and a producer. Um, I'd never, I'd only ever directed and produced theater. I had never done it for film. Um, and I love acting. I've been doing it my, my whole life. It's what I am super drawn to. Um, and I still love it so much, but there is this element, um, at least this, the, the, you know, stage of, of actor I am currently, you know, I'm an Atlanta actor. The types of roles I book are not the lead roles at this moment in my career. And so in terms of the amount of artistic collaboration and freedom and control I have is much smaller in terms of the overall storytelling. And in theater, I, I would, you know, argue that there's there's a bit more collaboration from at least the shows I've been in compared to the sets I've been on. Um, and I've so missed that and like love the fact that when you're producing and directing, you have a much, you know, you have a basically more say in terms of, you know, the overall storytelling. Um, and it's super collaborative and that's what I love. I love the like chaotic friend, like frenzy on set. And yeah. when you're an actor on set, you really don't get that experience. You're kind of like put off and holding and then you beep bop poop over to, you know, when they're, they're like, okay, we're ready for you. And everything else has already been done. The camera's been set. Like you have your mics on and, you know, yeah. lighting's done and all of that and everything's been blocked. And then you just, then you're just kind of placed and you do your thing. But when you're not, in front of the camera, it's like 12 hours of just like, okay, next, go, go, go. Like, and I, I love that. So, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that as someone that has studied acting, done some acting, also done producing. Like I've found that, you know, just little things here and there that I've been able to act in. Like I found that I definitely prefer to work on my own projects where I am producing you know, it's that organized chaos of a set. Um, I love that, you know, everyone kind of has their own job, knows what it is. Every, if everybody pulls their weight, the whole thing moves forward. Um, and yeah, like you said, just that intense, always going chaos of, of many hours versus like just being an actor, like you, know, you were saying, getting pulled in. And um, so was that desire what drove you to create your own content or did creating your own content show you that? Um, creating my own content showed me that at first I, so the first thing I ever like made that could be considered like film or TV was this TikTok series that my friend and I made together called dung and drag. And it's they, like a, 
kind of like a mockumentary of a Dungeons and Dragons game. You know, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons in real life, but my best friend Alex is like a DM and does it all the time and runs like multiple campaigns. So we were hanging out one night and we were like, we always talked about like things that we would want to do. And we were like, let's just do it. So we wrote, you know, in one night we like wrote out a whole season of like episode, you know, uh, it was like 27 episodes and we decided to like cast it and we, you know, we didn't pay anybody. We didn't have any money, but people like, we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we got a whole cast together. We used like my house at the time. Um, and we filmed it on an iPhone and all of the scenes, like we had layouts of every scene and like, like the comedic beats were there, but there were no lines per se. Uh, so it was all like an improvised thing. And then we would do like the little individual interviews, like on top of my washing machine. It was all really fun and silly and kooky. And then it actually did very well on TikTok. Um, and that was the first time I was like, cause I edited that and, you know, we like produced it. We even made, we made like, I think all the things I make have this weird, like, is it real? Is it not um, aspect to it? Because the whole premise was we were just playing these characters who were making a podcast about D and D. So it was very like meta and we made our own Patreon as the characters and people did subscribe to the Patreon as a character. So that helped to fund like more episodes. Um, but yeah, so after that, uh, it was just like a thing for us to do and like be silly and creative and fun. Um, but then I kind of realized like, Hey, I can do this. Um, but I wanted to play a lead. It started as a desire to create something just so I could showcase my acting abilities. Right. That was kind of like the thing I was like, I'll do this for my reel. It'll be great. Um, and I started writing like a feature, but then when Roe v. Wade happened, the impetus turned immediately to like wanting to create something to, to help rather than it being something more for me if that makes sense yeah absolutely um so completely understand i mean you got to see inside the process you got to see that you were capable um and that certainly can build confidence you know just seeing what you're able to accomplish um you know i've been there as well on the the creation side and yeah just walking away with anything that you can show people just it's it's something you know it's, it's it feels good and um, you know, we were introduced to our mutual friend, Rachel High, that worked on my movie, The Late Game, that's coming out soon. And, you know, she was really excited about what you're working on. Um, and we, we met to discuss L8. And so I would love if you could just tell the audience, you know, what L8 is and how it came about. Sure. So L8 is a short film that depicts a potential reality. Uh, And I think it showcases a trajectory of reproductive rights. So kind of where we're headed. Um, So Roe v. Wade was overturned in June of 2022. And uh, two months later, I was driving um, back from Orlando to to Atlanta. Uh, I had visited my friend for her birthday. And as I was about to cross the Georgia-Florida line, I just kind of had the thought of like, what if I was stopped? What if I like couldn't cross the state line unless I was, you know, not pregnant? Like, what if they tested me? So that kind of that idea just kind of sparked into 
I like spent like the next like four hours just driving in silence as I'm like thinking like, okay, well, what would that look like? What would that reality be like? What would my characters be? And um, what it was in my head during that car ride is not what it became on paper. Um, I think I just needed time to like digest and like let it marinate. But um, once I started writing LA, it happened, like it just came out. Like it was one of those like moments of like creative flow that you know, like people are like, I don't even know how I did that. Like I don't. So it goes, it, it takes place in 2024, in October of 2024. And you basically see this doctor who has been arrested uh, for aiding and abetting an abortion. She helped a woman cross state lines to get an abortion. Now she's arrested by the report aboard police department or the RAPD and report aboard is this government, like the state uh, sanctioned, you know, organization essentially that, uh, pays people in return for information. So people can, it's like a tattletale system. Um, and now the doctor who was arrested and this all takes place in Texas and the doctor who's arrested, uh, is being tried and is, uh, there's a law that was passed called L8 and L8 increases a penalty of aiding or abetting an abortion from life in prison to death. And so she's going to be the first person tried using L8. So we see all of this happen and on like the, the narrative unfold utilizing multimedia, you know, um, sources. So there's YouTubers, there are TikTokers, there are news channels, um, there are podcasters. Um, and it's basically to kind of showcase the, you know, the multifaceted kind of streams of, of, narratives that we get of news, of, of stories, um, people's opinions, things like that. Uh, and just kind of like, almost it feels like a, sometimes can feel like a frenzy. Um, and so we see all of this unfold uh, in the bathroom with our girl. And she's unnamed because I wanted everyone to be able to feel like they could relate to her. Um, and she's basically just watching, you know, these TikToks and, and these stories um, from her phone. And every month she has to undergo uh, testing and it's a state mandated test uh, using an app called SoFlow. And it's a period tracking app that also, you know, um, tracks your fertility and is a pregnancy test. And so you have to like prick your finger, you put it in the app and uh, in the, in the apparatus, and then the app tells you your information. Um, and it's like super cutesy and saccharine and like very floral and haha giggly girly. And so, um, yeah, it kind of just showcases this, you know, trajectory of questions of privacy of, you know, you know, medical, medical privacy of privacy of, you know, individualism, things like that. Uh, and it really just raises a question, um, of, for me, the, my ultimate question is, you know, at what point does, uh, because people are fighting for, you know, fetal personhood, but at what point does this person no longer have that right, right? Like, why are we putting a, a woman's life beneath a, a baby um, or a fetus or whatever you want to call it? Um, and I just think at the end of the day, it's an individual's choice. So I have, you know, I just am, am, am fighting for that, um, but really just trying to raise the question of, 
what would you do? Because eventually she has to, you know, use her mother's blood to, to be able to, to test. And uh, the mother catches her in the act. And the question really does become like, what does the mother do? And I, I hope to kind of draw an empathetic bridge that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really appreciate that. And I certainly feel similarly to you that, you know, women should have bodily autonomy. And, you know, when I first, when you sent me the script originally and I read it, it was just, it was really moving and powerful just, just on paper. And I know, um, you know, your script has won, won some awards, rightfully so. And, you know, I just, the way that it humanizes the situation is just really powerful for me. And, you know, there's so, so much in our society around politics, et cetera, is just like people screaming at each other online. There isn't that hum human aspect to it. And so I think bringing this subject, you know, into within a story, like you were saying, telling stories around this subject, you would hope would really be able to build some empathy. Yeah. And, and that was the whole point of, of the, the story. I mean, I've seen so many films that kind of lean more liberal. I mean, and it, it is great, but it's also just, you're, you're preaching to the choir, you're screaming in your echo chamber. And you're like, I felt like the conversation had gotten so polarized that there is no conversation to be had at all. It's just screaming back and forth. And there's no real like road forward in that, in that sense. So I, you know, had seen people who are more conservative react to quote, liberal media as a, you know, it's like they feel like they're being attacked and so they shut down. And so with LA, I, there is no like one side is being pushed over another. It's really just presenting what could be happening. Um, and yeah, I just, I didn't want to make caricatures of anyone. I wasn't trying to say this is good or this is bad. I'm just really drawing more so on the ultimate question of, how far is too far? Like, and, and that's, that's, yeah, my goal with that. Yeah. I mean, you're presenting a story of a potential reality that, you know, if, if people watch it, they'll see that like, this is truly a path that we scarily could be on. Um, but like you said, you're really just presenting these character stories and it's up for individuals to interpret, you know, how they feel about it. Do you mind if I read out the synopsis? Yeah, no problem. Um, okay. So, the synopsis of L8 is, you know, set in a not so distant future where peri period tracking is state mandated. Abortion is now punishable by death and reporting abortion suspicions is a lucrative way to earn cash. A young woman follows a cascade of coverage on Texas's first death penalty case from the solitude of her bathroom. And then after falling in love, our girl's cyclical life is abruptly jeopardized as she tries to outsmart the system using an unwilling and potentially deadly source, her own mother. So Elliot really is just a not so dystopian look at the trajectory of our feminine freedoms. Uh, and it captures the internal struggles of one girl's journey as the rest of the world continues to blabber on about her choices or lack thereof. Yeah. It really brings home this big political conversation into like what it actually means in an individual's life. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Ultimately, you know, I think with the continuation, like if we were to live in, you know, 2024, L8, L8's 2024, um, 
even women who would want to keep the baby, who'd want to see their pregnancy to term, with all of the restrictions, you're really taking away their ability to have a safe pregnancy. Like if there's any kind of issue and there needs to be medical attention, you're taking, you're making it one much harder for states that do have any sort of partial or, or ban on abortion. Those women are going to have a much harder time finding an OBGYN. Um, you're, you're seeing a lot of um, OBGYNs like leaving states with these abortion bans because they could not only face professional repercussions, but personal repercussions as well in terms of imprisonment. And, and if it were LA in terms of death, and it's like, you're taking away, you know, women's right to have a safe pregnancy, to have yeah. reproductive care and access, good reproductive care and access. You're making yeah. it very difficult for women to live a healthy life and bring children into the world. If that's your main concern, you're making it very difficult for us to do it without risking and jeopardizing our own life doing that. If you're enjoying this episode, I would greatly appreciate if you could review, like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platforms. Your engaged support goes a long way in helping the show grow and getting our impactful guests heard. Now back to the show. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to put it. Just focusing on the the fact that it's limiting quality accessible healthcare is it's, it's pretty scary. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of scary aspects of this, this whole situation, but, um, I'm really appreciate how you're bringing these ideas to the forefront. And, um, you know, I'm curious from sort of the, the filmmaker side, obviously I was fortunate enough to come in on and join you as an executive producer and, and help a little bit with that. the project. Uh, oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's something that I believe in and I believe it's important for people to see. So would love if you could share just the process of making the film and, and, you know, what you, you hope to accomplish with it. <laughs> okay, here we go. So it's been about 18 months of my life. Didn't think it was going to take that long. I was incredibly naive in that. Um, but I finished the script, was it September 7th of 2022? And the moment I finished it, I was like, what now? I have to make this. Um, and I don't know how. And so I... Uh, was lucky enough to have met Rachel High, who was my director of photography and and worked on on your short film, um, which I would love to see when it comes out. Um, it's it's actually a feature film, but oh, yes, it's a feature film. I didn't know. okay, <laughs> yep, well, yep. your feature film, which I would still love <laughs> yeah, to see. Yeah, excited comes for out. you to see. Um, and so I had met her working. I was working uh, at a mutual friend's. Her family runs this camp, uh, this acting and like film camp. And I was working as a monologue coach that summer. So I met Rachel that summer um, and she was like the only female camera person I knew. And so when I saw her again at our friend Ashlyn's um, birthday, I just was like, hey, I wanna make this short film. Do you wanna help? <laughs> and she, and I told her kind of what it was about and um, I sent her the script and she was like, yes, let's do it. And so I started to just tell other female friends of mine who are also in the film industry and be like that I trusted and was like, do you want to like help me do this? I don't know what I'm doing, but like, do you want to? And so it kind of started like that. Um, I was so naive that I truly thought in October that I could start filming in December. 
And that was the the funniest thing looking back. I'm like, what are you thinking? Anyway, um, I started like submitting the scripts to a bunch of like different festivals and stuff like that. I realized that I needed to make an LLC. So I made an LLC, um, you know, LA, the official short LLC. And I had to get a PO box because I could, I didn't want to use my personal address because of the film's content and potential ramifications of that. So I have a PO box. I filed for an LLC. Then um, I had to get a bank account. So it's like, you're, you're really just creating a small business for yourself. Yeah. Um, so I went and I started a bank account and I got a business bank, like a business credit card and all of that. And then I started to fundraise. We, uh, went out on the belt line one day, me and another producer, Jasenia. Um, and we thought we would just go up and talk to people. And we did get a few dollars, uh, but it was not worth it at all. Um, just like in terms of time spent versus reward. So I just learned more about like different fundraising techniques, mechanisms. Um, I created like a website. So I had to buy the LA official short domain um, and then create the website. And um, I just, I didn't want to wait I know a lot of people do like a, they'll do like a seed and spark or a GoFundMe or something like they'll crowdfund before production. I knew that I wanted, I, that L8 is a very specific time frame, right? It was written in 2022. It takes place in 2024. I knew that if I waited to do all of that and had no materials to show, I was like, well, fundraising probably, I probably won't reach the goal. I probably won't get to make enough. And I need to make this as soon as possible because it matters now. And um, so because, you know, I was lucky enough to get, to not have to pay a lot of money to go to college. um, And I worked throughout college. I was able to kind of put forth the money to create this film. Um, And so that, that's kind of what I did. And um, I got together a team of producers and we, went on actors access and we cast it and um we i went around to different locations and you know secured different spots and um you know when you're making a short film that is like your baby you know i wrote and directed and produced it and and acted in it but i also you know was the one who found the locations who was the you know like production manager i was the accountant. I had to like, you know, make, you're kind of do, I did set deck. I had to buy all the props. I, you're doing everything. And it was like, it's the best use of my time. And also like most of my time. Um, and, but I love it. And I, I just, I loved every facet of it. And honestly, people were just incredibly kind. Like I could not have done like this. This is not a solo project. This is an incredibly collaborative project. And like you came on board, which was phenomenal. And I had uh, the person uh, that was the um, manager of this studio that we utilized for uh, two of the locations. I told him about L8. We met in like February and I told him about L8 and he has a 12 year old daughter. Maybe she's 13 now, but at the time she was 12 and was like, I think what you're doing is awesome. How can I help? 
And he, I mean, it would have cost so much more had he not, he like let us use all of his like camera equipment and he would bring like his sound equipment and like lighting equipment. I mean, he was phenomenal. And so we didn't have to pay for any of that, which was a, a humongous, uh, you know, cost saver. Um, and so like people like that, that just wanted to help. Um, my brother made like the SoFlo app because I thought, man, this will be really hard to do like VFX for, especially because I don't know what that really means or entails. So um, I didn't want to not have that. So I wanted as many like practical, you know, effects as I possibly could have. So my brother made this like SoFlo app. So it's like, a real app and people can like download it and like play around with it. Um, it won't actually test your blood. It will just be like the programmed thing, but still like, so we had things like that. Um, and then, you know, um, I had met like just, it really just like expanded my, my personal network of like film and, and television, which has been awesome, especially when it comes to people behind the camera as well. And, um, I met this wonderful guy named Mac and he um, edit, edited my film for free. So it's like, and he's a, you know, he uh, works at Resolve Media Group and um, now I'm, I do business development and like produce with them. But, you know, it's like meeting these people and people getting attracted to particular projects and then you help them and they help you. And it's just really I wish the world was like a film community, really, because it's like people who all understand how difficult and wonderful it is at the same time and just want to help you. Um, and yeah, so it was a, a very long process. I mean, you know, like even honestly to this day, I'm still making like small tweaks and um, oh, I should mention to the composer of the film, Shelby Rassler, I went to high school with and like reached out to her because she's this like musical phenom out in New York City. And um, she did all the composition and all of the sound editing and mixing for a very, very reasonable rate. Like, and it's just like, like people just genuinely wanting to, to support and help. Um, so it's been really, really cool and awesome. And I've like, uh, so even today, um, I just uh, got off the phone with this, uh, the woman who is in charge of the Georgia win list. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about this, but here we are talking about it on your podcast. So that works too. <laughs> um, Melita Easters and I got connected. Um, and again, here, like the weird serendipity and, and all of that I have met, um, there's a Georgia House representative named Darshan Kendrick. Um, and I met her at a conference I was at called Venture Atlanta um, for my business development job. And so she and I were talking about the company I'm representing. And then, she, you know, we just start, we get to talking more like casually and everything. And, um, you know, she does a lot of work with like the film tax credit. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. I have this film, blah, blah, blah. And we get to talking about impact films. And then I tell her about L8. And so we meet again to talk more about it. Um, and when we meet again, I have the trailer now. So I show her the trailer and she 
wanted to introduce me to Melita Easters, who runs the Georgia Win List. So she connected us via email, and then Melita and I met a few days back for dinner. And then today she just called me to tell me that uh, she got approval from the board. So the Georgia Win List will be a promotional partner for the L8 premiere in Atlanta on January 7th, and uh, we'll be assisting in arrangements for a panel discussion, including some of their uh, endorsed Georgia women legislators uh, to talk about the issue following the screening. And awesome. yeah, yeah. So we'll have a few representatives, Senator possibly, um, and it's, it's, I'm very, very excited. Um, and so just to give you, give your audience as well, um, an understanding of what Georgia Winless does. So they're a PAC devoted to the protection of reproductive freedom by electing more pro-choice pro Democratic women to legislative seats in Georgia. And so basically through this promotional partnership, um, it'll be great, you know, for this, for our premier to have women who are quite actively in seats of power, helping to make change. Um, and, but on their end, L8 will now be a tool that they can use uh, when talking about uh, pro-choice and when, um, you know, they can utilize it in gatherings as a campaign over the next year um, to, you know, hopefully stir up a younger audience as well as kind of like showcase like where we could be headed. Um, yeah. And what's fun is like now it is 2024. And <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. It, that's really exciting. I'm re really glad to hear that. And, you know, getting people involved in the political side is it's going to go a long way in getting people to see the film. And, you know, I know the goal is just to get as many eyes on this film as possible. Yes. You know, how are you hoping that people see it? So um, in terms of the democratization of, of media, like no one will have to pay for this. Um, I want everyone to be able to see this uh, without any kind of paywall. So um, it will be released on different streaming, free streaming sites. So YouTube, Vimeo. Um, and right now, the best way that you can stay involved in the journey um, and, you know, stay up to date is by going to the L8 website, which is, it is L8, the official short.com, no hyphens or anything, just the letter L, the number eight, the official short.com. And from there, you can navigate to the Instagram and the TikTok. Um, and kind of follow our story there. You can watch the trailer. So one of the things that we're trying to do is get the trailer to 27,493,154 views. Now it's a very specific number, but it is because that is one view for every woman of reproductive age who lost access to abortion and reproductive care after Roe v. Wade was overturned in the US. So how I got to that number and that statistic was um, there are currently 21 states in the U.S. that do not, that, sorry, that do have a partial or full ban on abortion. Um, and I will save everyone uh, having to listen to me read off each state, but just Google it. There are 21. And so I went to each of the 21 state census from 2020 and 2021. And they have the US census uh, categorizes women of reproductive age as women eight, uh, 15 to 44. And so I took that number from each state uh, and added those together. And that is um, how I got to 27,493,154. Now I'm sure there are many more 
women who are affected, but this is just within the U.S. census's range of reproductive age. But obviously, every woman is affected because you have, I mean, if, if L8's premise were to be true and you could earn, you know, up to $75,000 for reporting someone, what if that someone was your daughter? What if that someone was your son? What if that someone was your child or your aunt or your whomever, someone very near and dear to you? Like it puts this, this element of, it, it really, it turns us against one another. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it just, it affects everyone, honestly. Um, and I wish more people could just see that aspect of things. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully they'll see LA and that will help them see yeah. that. Watch LA. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that obviously this is a really exciting project and, you know, for me, film is such an important tool to create impact. Um, like we've said a few times to humanize situations. Um, where do you, maybe you don't yet, but where do you see going from here in terms of future projects and how you want to continue to create impact with your work? Well, um, with L8, we're not like, once the premiere happens, that's not the end of it. Um, you know, Georgia Winlist hopefully will be able to, you know, uh, introduce us to other states and, and uh, win to other states who have Winlist as well. Um, who try to get Democratic women who are pro-choice in office or uh, in legislative seats. And so, uh, but even, but regardless, we are doing national screenings. Um, so right now our fundraising, um, we have until the end of the year, uh, people can purchase producer and part like promotional packages. So uh, you can have a producer credit um, or an executive producer credit. And there are different tiers of those. And those are also on the website. Um, they go for, it starts at 500 and goes up to 10,000. But if you pay 10,000, you get like a brought to you buy on the poster and digital marketing at every, uh, subs like subs subsequent screening that we would have around the country. So, um, it's a, it's a great, you know, mission and, and vision and message to align yourself with. Um, if that is something of interest, but, um, the reason that we have to cut it off at the end of the year is just because once the film is released on YouTube, um, we don't want to kind of mess with the view counts and the algorithm and all of that by re-uploading if we add additional people in. So, um, my goal is to have L8 kind of be, continue to work on it for the rest of the year, basically up through the election and hopefully L8 will have done even even if it's just changed like a mind or like made people question then that that is like the biggest gift of all and like honestly the fact that the film is like done is also a huge gift um and something like i'm already very proud of it and very happy like to have done it um but but if it is able to have an impact that would mean so much to me um and to to like just helping the future of women and our health and our rights. So, um, but after L8 kind of hopefully does its thing and helps and hopefully we overturn Roe v. Sorry, we get our rights back. Um, my next, I right now have this like short story idea. Um, it's not necessarily like an impact film, but it is still in this like little horror kind of like psychological thriller phase. 
um, and it explores gaslighting and um, it's kind of like a, a twist on yellow wallpaper by uh, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, I believe. So um, it kind of just goes into like hysteria and, and gaslighting and all that. Um, but I do want to continue to make projects um, that I think everything I make will always have some kind of uh, commentary on life because that to me is art. I mean, even if it's like a fun, funny movie, like there's always a message. And so, um, yeah, I want to just keep telling stories that hopefully make people lead. It's going to sound so corny, but I want to tell stories that help people, you know, build these empathetic bridges and lead with love because like, I just, I just hate how much, that's the only thing I hate is how much hate there is in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel, feel the same way. And it's, you know, it's exciting to think that, um, creating this content, even if, like you said, it changes one life it, that goes a really long way. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're doing the fundraising, which, you know, will help to reimburse what you've spent on the film, help to fund, uh, well, the campaigns, actually, right? I will say that, um, I initially was going to, going to do that, um, and wanted to get reimbursed, but I also kind of decided that whatever I get from fundraising, I think would be better utilized to like market it and like pay for those national screenings. So, um, I was like, you know what? I got to do what I wanted and make something and I've gotten so many connections and opportunities and, and things out of it. And I got to make my own film and like try and, I mean, I got to do what I love for a year and a half. And if that's what it costs then that's what it costs. So yeah. I kind of just, so if anybody's considering donating, just know that your donations will go towards having more eyes on this, getting more people to watch this and just pushing the message out there. So if you do believe in reproductive rights, it's not going to go to reimbursing what I spent on the film, but it will go towards helping spread awareness and revving people up and getting to watch it and yeah. hopefully getting our rights back. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Agreed. And yeah, excited to see the journey and, and how that evolves. Um, you know, looking forward to, to helping get it out there and, um, you know, throughout your kind of short career so far, you're very young, obviously, you know, you, you have created impact with your work on L8 and um, with your other work as well. Like you said, everything has something in it, some kind of message. Um, you know, you mentioned your times, you know, giving, uh, going to soup kitchens and things like that in the past. Um, are there any, do you have a story of when, you know, you, you really saw how your work was affecting change? Yeah. Um, so my senior year at Oglethorpe, um, I was in like the honors program. So I had to do an undergraduate thesis and I decided that my thesis would be on, at first it was, uh, like comedic activism. So how like laughter actually can have a phenomenal, uh, ROI on change. Um, and like case in point is like, the John Stewart's, the Trevor Noah's, the uh, John Oliver's, like when people laugh, their guard goes down and they're more uh, open to, to hearing opposing ideas. Um, so, and it also helps to build community. Um, 
but there were so many papers on that already. And um, I decided to shift to um, artistic activism. So I kind of dubbed it artivism for the, the purpose of, of my um, thesis. And I did a creative thesis. So I wrote a play um, and it was called To Be Determined. And this play, the, the goal of the play was to, again, create, to share, a, uh, to share stories and create empathy within an audience uh, on a subject that they might otherwise not have really understood and, and known. So um, the goal was to destigmatize eating disorders. And um, I, at that time, was suffering from orthorexic bulimia. And so I wanted to utilize not only my own story, but other people's stories. So in order to do it in an academic way, uh, where it's not just a memoir per se, um, I conducted different focus groups um, and recorded everything. And I wanted to know what do people think about eating disorders? Like what are their, um, you know, sort of pre-existing beliefs or beliefs that have been influenced by media and news and, and things like that. Um, and so when I had all of these different points and questions and, and ideas and opinions from these focus groups, that's kind of how I was like, okay, I need to address like this and this and this and this and this. And then I also conducted interviews with a bunch of different women varying in age um, and in race um, and in socioeconomic class. So all of whom have eating disorders or, you know, are in remission from uh, recovery remission. Um, and so I conducted all these different interviews and then typed them all out. And I would kind of like, it was very fun. <laughs> I kind of created these um, new characters out of the the stories and the personalities of the women that I interviewed. So if two people had something kind of similar, I would create this new character utilizing like certain uh, phrases that they would constantly say, or like quirks that they had, or the way that they spoke, um, the way they made other people feel like, uh, so I built new characters um, and then, and then wrote this play and we did a whole staged reading for it. And um I conducted pre and post show surveys because I wanted to like quantitatively show that there was a shift in audience empathy and an understanding of the subject from having watched a performance. Um, and they were like, you know, it was like a, on a scale from one to five, like how much do you, you know, disagree, strongly agree, agree kind of thing. And it would yep. ask questions like, um, you know, eating disorders are only, uh, like only women suffer from eating disorders. Um, or like women, uh, have eating disorders because they want to be skinny, like things like that. Like, so it would, and then, um, more, uh, so they were like kind of opinion-ish based ones. And then also, um, ones based in fact of like anorexia is the leading cause of death, like in like the mental health of like mental health disorders. And so it was like, you know, like, do people know that or where do they see this problem lying essentially? So then, uh, everyone filled it out before the show, they watched the play, um, or, you know, watched the stage reading of the play and then filled it out again. Um, and it was really 
cool and wonderful to see like the actual numbers and the data of like people. It wasn't even like a little bit. People really responded to hearing the stories of these people and understanding like, oh, this is why they this happened. It's not because, oh, they just wanted to be skinny. Like there's so many other facets. And I wanted to showcase that it's not just like what people think. Everyone has these wonderful layers to them. And there are so many things like there's, it's our lives are just so multifaceted and we have so many different influences. And what one person said once could stick with me in a way that they might not realize, but it's affected me and made me do X, Y, and Z, or has, you know, like just a bunch of different things. Like, so the first act of the play was kind of showing that more um, because, and I could only speak to myself in that sense. So the first act of the play was like my experiences um, in a fictional narrative sense, but stemming from my experiences, uh, you know, from, um, you know, uh, differences of religion from like a romantic partner to, you know, um, having, you know, someone taunt me when I was in middle school to like, all these different facets, um, you know, having like OCD, like being very obsessive compulsive with numbers and, and things like that, like everything kind of combining. And so um, that was the first act. And the second act was the introduction of, you know, my character goes to a facility and is in group therapy with all these other people. And you get to hear all these different stories and they all represent different types of eating disorders and different types of reasons why in people and backgrounds. So the empathy grew in the audience quantitatively, but hearing, we did a talk back as well and hearing people like cry and hug. And it was like this really beautiful moment of community because finally it was just like, people were like, like this one guy was like, I had no idea. Like, and it, it was just really beautiful. And people, women who, and men and, you know, people who had um, eating disorders were just felt seen and they like appreciated that it wasn't this characterization or a, rather a caricature of it, but a real emblematic, like yeah. there's a, there's, there's a reason why. So I just yeah. really hope that people continue to make art like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it must have been tremendously rewarding to see the impact sort of happening and to be able to see it quantitatively as well. I mean, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a microcosm of what, you know, we're trying to do with impact and film as a whole, but, you know, what you're trying to do with LA as well. And, um, you know, I, it'd be interesting to do some sort of experiments like that with LA. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like have it as like a link, like before you watch the film, like fill out this form but also barriers to like, are people yeah. going to fill out a form before they watch it? We don't want to keep people from watching it, but I like know. maybe at a specific, maybe at a specific screening or something. Right. But Hey, 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 um, listen, if you're listening right now and you want to fill out a form, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. If you'd like, you can ask me a question. Oh, okay. Yeah. So earlier you had mentioned that you had done a lot of acting and, and producing your own work. So what was your, why did you want to start acting and what was your reasoning for producing your first film? 
Yeah. I mean, I'll clarify. I don't feel like I have a ton of experience, but I've done like years of acting classes and, you know, helped in various student films. I've acted in some of my own stuff that has yet to, to really get out there, but it, it'll be out there. And, um, you know, I, I've always had a interest in really creative stuff and, um, you know, always had interest in sort of performing. And I think, you know, growing up in South Carolina, um, for whatever reason, I didn't think it was cool to like be an actor. So I wasn't, I didn't do like school plays and that kind of stuff. But uh, my sister was super involved in that. And, um, and my mom did some of that as well in terms of like being in local performances and singing. Um, and it was, you know, something that long interested me. And um, I was interested in, in college, I started realizing that at some point, I would love to create film in some capacity, I found film to have a lot of impact on me, you know, mentally and beyond and um, just sort of let that marinate for a while and um, eventually started a, a film production company with some business partners and um, just, I loved the creative side, the creating and building the stories and just had an itch to act, you know, I just liked the idea of being engaged in acting and um, it's it's fun. It's fun to to play and to pretend. And um, in society, I feel like adults don't get to be quote kids very often. And you know, acting is one of those times where you can. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, eventually found um, some acting classes here in Denver um, with my amazing amazing teacher, who's now a very close friend, Benji Dobrin. And, you know, just learned a lot through my years of his classes and um, also just like the communal aspect of acting together and learning together. And, you know, it was a safe place for everyone acting class. And um, so that was it was cool. It was, you know, just to sort of flex my muscles, determine what I could pull off, what I couldn't. Um, and it was it was rewarding to, you know, I especially like to make people laugh. So like, you know, doing a performance and getting some laughs like, I don't know, it just made me made me happy. And then, you know, we'd already been working on some of our own productions and, you know, so I wanted to sort of start dabbling and being in those. And then, um, you know, I mentioned I did some other people's stuff, you know, mostly to learn, but I realized in doing those that, like you were saying, I like to be sort of all over, like in various levels of control and like be able to be creative in my decision-making process versus having to do you know, the lines on the page, the way they want it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I've felt like I could act and I just, I'm the type that throws myself into things to try. So, you know, I mentioned I did those little things and then we've got our movie, the late game coming out, uh, hopefully in early 2024. And I, you know, I'm in the top handful of roles in that we've got, Ooh. it's kind of an, it's kind of an ensemble cast, but, um, it was a lot of fun. I got to play a goofy dentist that, um, you know, I had a lot of uh, a heavy hand in building the depth of the character. And yes. um, so I want, yeah, I want to do more of that. I just, I want to bring ideas of, you know, my own and my partners to life um, in a way that maybe other people wouldn't. So uh, yeah, it's just something that it makes me happy. It makes other people happy, I feel like. And uh, it's something that I enjoy. It lets me sort of come out of my shell a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think you said something earlier that I just so resonate with, which was like, as adults, you you just lose this ability to like have fun, be imaginative, like, and obviously there's there are responsibilities, but also 
why can't we just like sing and laugh and dance and like be make you know jokes and like be silly and goofy why do we have to be these like very rigid like kind of people and so i don't know i i used to tell my mom uh i was like i have this great idea let's build playgrounds in office buildings like because just like reset right like can you imagine like you and carol from accounting like just like going (laughs) down during your lunch break and like playing on the swing set or like making up a game you know like when i was in elementary school we used to play this game that we made up called shipwrecked and like there was like these two kind of um different like levels of like structures like separated by monkey bars and some people would be sharks and some people would be pirates very classic elementary school but like you basically just had to like go and like capture something and come back to your side of the ship but you couldn't get caught by the sharks and the sharks could pull you down from the monkey bars it was dangerous but we were children (laughs) Um, but like that kind of thing of like everyone is like in on playing their role in this story right like everyone is like building this world together you're like okay we're shipwrecked we would like write it in the sand with like a stake we'd be like shipwrecked like we made a whole production out of it just because we did like we were outside and could have fun and like to me those moments are just as important as sitting and like doing you know and, and reading and doing math and, and learning i i think yeah. you have to have a balance especially like with like an eight hour work day, like who says why, why eight hours? Yeah. Who said, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really important to be able to sort of cultivate that creativity. And, you know, in terms of having like playgrounds at offices, I mean, I feel like over the last couple of decades that started to happen to an extent in terms of like ping pong tables in the office and things like that. But, you know, it, not to the extent that it should be. And, um, yeah, it's really important for people to be able to let go, not take themselves too seriously. So uh, definitely you should try to keep building playgrounds and office spaces. I'm going to keep building metaphorical playgrounds for people. Um, But yeah, I just, I wish like if people get anything out of this, I hope that they go check out L8's website and the film and support. But also I hope that you take the time to like be creative yourself. You know, if you have a creative endeavor, if you wanted to always try to do pottery or paint or write jokes or whatever, like it doesn't have to be anything but but what you've created doesn't have to be quote good or quote bad. Like I wish that we just got rid of all of those and like people just felt like they could create without being judged. Like no one cares. Do your thing unless it harms other people and then don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed 100%. And I certainly hope people start to dig in more to that. It's, I think we're going in the right direction. And, um, you know, I just have a couple more for you. Uh, if everything were to end tomorrow, aside from family, what are you most grateful for or most proud of? Um, I'm really grateful for, like, not me crying. I'm really grateful for all the people that I've met. Um, yeah. Um, I've, I don't think that. I'm, I love people. Um, when I say I love stories, like it's not just like, I love telling stories. Like I love hearing stories and getting to know people. And I am very grateful for realizing this year, how important it is to 
get out and talk to people and network with people, not only for like opportunities, but just for friendships, just for relationships, just for a conversation. Like I, I'm really grateful that there are so many good people in this world. Yeah, I am as well. You know, like I say, people are the answer and there's a lot of good people doing good work out there and I'm glad we're getting a chance to shine a light on some of them. And, um, you know, the, the big question I ask everybody is if you could snap your fingers and fix one thing in the world, what would it be? And how do you think that change would reverberate? Oh, it's really honestly hard to pick one. Um, I would like, if I could, okay, if I could snap my fingers and change one thing, I would end, I would, I would like change whatever like little mechanism is in our wiring that was like reverts to war, like actual violence. I would make it to where we would just have conversations and we couldn't hit each other. There's no hitting allowed. There's no hitting, there's no shooting, there's no violence, there's, you can't, you can only use your words. And I would love to see how the world could change if we just, instead of like, put like, if, if we just kind of tabula rasa it, like blank slate, everyone just try to have a productive conversation without attacking someone verbally or physically, I would love to see how the world would look then. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Like if we could consistently have thoughtful discourse. Um, you know, when, you, when you're talking about no hitting, it made me think of my three and a half year old and how we tell him to use his words and not to hit people. And it's like, all right, we need to demonstrate that as a society as well. Yes, yes. It can't just be for toddlers. Like it has to be a, a constant reminder, apparently. Um, yeah, I mean, using your words and also just like being open to new ideas like it doesn't make you an idiot it doesn't make you wrong it doesn't like i i wish people could put egos aside and just like be like what well what is the best solution for everyone not just for me but for everybody and i uh have a, a wonderful beautiful friend um who used to we uh i mean anytime we got in, in a fight we were like arguing he would say, you know, if I was, if I was ever arguing just for me, you know, like just to, to prove that I was right, let's say he would say like, you're not arguing. Uh, what was his exact no, day? What was it? It was, um, you can't argue for yourself. You have to argue for the solution. Like we can't, there's never, we'll go back and forth forever. If we're both arguing for ourselves, but we have to argue for the solution. Like if we want to be friends, if we want to have a relationship, that has to be what's the most important thing. And I think having a global relationship and having like just being kind and argue for the solution, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I can definitely appreciate that. And, you know, just generally really appreciate your perspective on, on life and on film and creativity. And I think that it's something that, you know, it's hopefully contagious and others will, will take a listen yeah. to Should I like sneeze. You think that'll yeah. help? I mean, okay. Yeah, probably. Just go ahead. Yeah. I'll just like a, a quick, like, <coughs> here you go. I coughed and now you're going to catch it. Awesome. Uh, well, I appreciate that. And, uh, so how can people best support you, LA, your impact? 
Um, go to la8theofficialshort.com. Again, that is the letter L, the number eight, theofficialshort.com. And, uh, you know, give it a little look-see. Go to the donate page if you want to help us every dollar. I'm. Uh, you can also look at, like, what we spent on the movie and then, like, for production and all of that and post and pre-production. And then um, I'll be updating what we spend on, like, marketing and national screening so you can, like, I'm all about transparency. So people will be able to see exactly what has been spent um, and where their dollars are going towards in terms of helping, you know, disseminate and spread this message and, and start conversations. Um, and then at the end of the year, once kind of, once L8 is kind of like run its, not its course, but hopefully is, has done its job, has created an impact, um, all of the remaining money, if there is remaining money, will be donated to different reproductive justice organizations, um, to different like uh, places that help women get reproductive care. Well, thanks again for your time. We'll make sure to include all of the various links, uh, et cetera, in the show notes and, you know, wishing you the best of luck with L8, with your continued career growth. And, you know, I look forward to staying in touch and being on the journey of, of L8's growth. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been awesome. A great conversation. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of People Are the Answer. If you enjoyed the episode, share it with friends and reviews or subscriptions on your favorite platforms go a long way to help the show grow. I want to share these incredible people and their remarkable work with as many others as possible. Thanks for your support. For more, go to peoplearetheanswer.com.